How on earth can vegans get through Christmas? South Korea has announced its intention to ban the country's dog meat industry. Will this result in fewer animal deaths? And would you play a video game where you could break into an animal lab to free the animals? Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Anthony. I'm Richard. I'm Tom. And it's time for episode 11 of Vegan Week. Thanks for joining us for episode 11 of Vegan Week, produced in partnership with Fire and Flow Coffee. If you love great coffee, want to spend your money with vegan businesses and love a cheeky discount, head over to fireandflowcoffee.co.uk, enter the code FALAFEL10, that's the number 10, one zero, at the checkout to get a sweet 10% off your order. Why the discount? Well, because Shah, Phil and Callum are great people and they love the Enough of the Falafel listener community. Richard. That's Christmas presents sorted, right? Indeed. And speaking of Christmas, some of you might have tuned in today to hear us discuss on how on earth you're meant to get through Christmas as a vegan. Don't worry, we'll deep dive into our festive survival tips in the second half of the show. Yes, but in every episode of Vegan Week, we always make the first section of our show a rundown and commentary of our top 10 vegan news stories from the week. Right, enough of the falafel. Let's go. Okay, as per usual, we have selected 10 news stories that have been released in the last seven days or so, all of which relate to veganism, animal rights or outcomes for animals. And Tom, I think you've got a positive sounding story to start us off with, I think. I do. It's from The Animal Reader. And this is that South Korea is to ban dog meat by 2027. Yes, this is the news that South Korea plans to ban the consumption of dog meat by 2027. Uh, The announcement was made during a meeting with the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs and the Animal Rights Organisations. And the policy chief um, of the ruling People Power Party said that by the end of this year, there will be a bill to implement a dog meat consumption ban They expect enough political support for the bill to pass, adding that there would be a three-year phase-out period. The government wants to end the industry because of growing pressure from national and international animal rights groups. Dog meat farmers protested in front of the parliament, arguing that the decisions ignored (laughs) their right to live, which is a a tad ironic, um, and the ruling South Korea have responded by saying, we will provide full support to farmers, butchers, and other businesses facing closure or transition due to this law. For information, there are currently just over 1,000 dog farms and around half a million dogs slaughtered for meat annually in South Korea, according to government data. Rich, that well, this sounds like great news on the face of it. Well, yes, it, it is great news. And ev- every time we hear that some different species is getting protected, it's great news. But, it, you know, it makes me wonder or it makes me sad that we, we put that much attention on what they're doing in other countries rather than saying we've got pigs and we've got cows and we've got chickens here. So I would see it as, gosh, they're taking some big steps can we follow those steps in our own farming system 
Yeah, I would say it's clearly great news for dogs in South Korea. Of of course, it, it makes me feel a bit icky this this story because it it just smarts a little bit of xenophobia or kind of like thinly veiled xenophobia. People going, oh, it's it's brutal, it's terrible that that people eat dogs. Well. We're eating pigs, so you know. Let's let's be careful before we're casting too many aspersions. But I, I guess it's just it's just another step. Just saying, do you know what? Eating animals isn't cool, even if I mean I don't know what you two think. Like I can't see many people saying, "Oh, well, dog meat's banned." I'm I'm straight on the tofu then. <laughs> like that. Surely, surely people are just going to go for a different meat, aren't they? Yeah, it it would. Uh, logic would probably dictate that other meat consumption would probably rise uh, as a, as an effect uh, of this law um and it is as you say and it it's one of those things that often gets pointed out like oh how weird is it over in asia they eat dogs you know all oh, they eat dogs and cats and guinea pigs and all these other animals yeah you know, people you know as you say rich don't look inward and say well actually why is it weird that we eat you know that we eat pigs and cows and that's quote unquote fine and yet over in some parts of southeast asia they eat dogs and cats so yeah, a bit of a strange one, heaped in irony. But I think the main point here surely has to be that, you know, it's good for the dogs. It's good for the dogs. Good day for South Korean dogs, yeah. yeah. I mean, what what did everyone think about the the ruling party in South Korea who, who said we'll provide full support to farmers, butchers and other businesses facing closure or transition due to this law? Like, what what does that mean? It would be very interesting to follow up in six months' time. See, well, what... What full full support exactly are you given to a dog farmer? Yeah, exactly. Is that going to be financial or? Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm all about if you're vegan, you always care about people. So if they lose their main income source, it's good to find a way so they can transition to more sustainable and, of course, ethical means of producing goods. So if that is, if that's what they mean, like, okay, all these people will find different jobs, will support them, will they start growing crops? That's, you know, really good. If it's all about, okay, we move them to the pork industry, well, have we really, um, you know, won that much? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be very interesting to see whether it's just like hollow words or, or whether there's a, a change that makes a difference to them or whether it makes a difference to animals. But definitely my my favourite ironic quote of the week is, is uh, South Korean dog farmers saying that this decision ignores their right to live. It's like, come <laughs> come on, look at what you do for a living. We, I don't think we could be making arguments about people's right to live, can we? But maybe that's a bit harsh. Um, I think it was a, a very uh, fair point made, Ant. And, um, you know, the irony is uh, is quite stinging. But Rich, of course, the good news here is that, you know, in the UK... As a nation of animal lovers, you know, we love cats and dogs and domestic animals, don't we? Uh, Clearly not, unfortunately. From Coast FM in Cornwall, England, RSPCA warns animal abandonments at three-year high. This is the news that the number of unwanted family pets being abandoned is rising, according to the RSPCA. They say that animal abandonments are now at three-year high. Last month, there were 1,800 incidents reported across England and Wales, a 48% increase on October 2020. COVID-19 restrictions caused a surge in pet ownership. This and the ongoing cost of living crisis has created 
what they are calling a perfect storm of animal welfare emergencies and abandonments. The RSPCA is asking animal lovers to donate what they can to their winter appeal, which will help the charity care for unwanted animals through the colder months. So, what do you make about this, Anthony? Well, I mean, we've levelled criticism at the RSPCA in, in previous episodes of the podcast. And, and though I do stand by those, I think we were being fair and reasonable. Here, it seems that they're, they're battling hard against what's clearly a difficult situation. I mean, that's that's a huge number in, in just England and Wales, isn't it? Nearly 2,000 abandonments. And that's just in one month. Really upsetting, really staggering. It's It's not a... It's not a story that I, I think as a vegan, I would share that widely. Obviously, we're reporting on it and I think it's important that we do. I think the risk in sharing this too far as a vegan is it, it looks almost like we're being a bit vindictive. We're saying, oh, I'm actually really pleased that that people are abandoning animals because it shows that none of you actually care. And I think that's a that, that sort of hypocrisy that we might notice as vegans, and it might feel particularly upsetting. I think we have to be a bit careful about how we express it. Um, so that would be c- kind of my word of warning with this story and, and sharing it too wide. But it's 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 clearly crappy, isn't it? I mean, Tom, you've got um, you've got a rescue rescue dog, haven't you? Like, I don't know if this yeah. strikes particularly with you. It, it does. Both of our uh, our dogs are rescue. Um, we have a Galgo rescued from Spain, who was uh, basically just a, a puppy machine. Um, and we've had her within our home for the last four years, I want to say. And even now you can still see that that fear of humans on occasion. She has gotten a lot better, I'm happy to say, but there is still a certain level of fear there. Um, our second dog, uh, Purple, the uh, uh, the husky, she um, her her mother was uh, going to be abandoned when the owner owner I don't like that word mm-hmm. found out she was pregnant um, and they were happy just to to let this pregnant husky off on a field um, thankfully a friend of ours stepped in and saved uh, that husky and um, you know we 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 had one of the the, the puppies there and you know she's now a, a huge member of our family and you know it does strike a chord with me and there's um there was actually something this week up here in the midlands a local news story just um around the corner from us uh, a vet found two tortoise in in a skip jeez wow. um, and the you know they were in really bad shape thankfully um an animal sanctuary stepped in and they rescued the tortoise and they've 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 nursed them back to health and they're now thankfully you know um a lot you know they're happy alive and well it's just really sad that people can do these um, these horrible things to animals, and um, yeah, I'm just glad that there are people out there that you know are willing to go that extra length, that extra mile to to support these animals and uh, rehome them and just you know nurse them back to health where they can. I think it's often the case that in difficult times, it's the most vulnerable people in a society or in a community who who suffer the most, isn't it? Um, as that kind of desperation, mm-hmm. that fear, that it all trickles down the the fear and the um, and the pressing, and I, I guess in our society at the moment, unfortunately, animals in almost all cases are at, at the bottom of the ladder, aren't they? So, um, in a sense, it's it's inevitable. But we've just got to strive to do our best to to challenge against it, haven't we? And I would add to all that that one of the issues here is that pets are considered property, and legally they're property. So, the moment you can assign property to a life you will have these problems unless things change a lot and the law evolves to equalize them to humans in a way we'll have 
these cases on and on. Or, for example, we still have shops that sell pets. If it's a commodity at the end of the day, we, we should start thinking about with the number of dogs and cats and other species that are in need of a home, should we really be sen- selling pets? Should we really be breeding them? So I think I think there's a lot a lot to cover there. But anyway, Anthony, I hope you can cheer us up with the next story. I'll do my best, everyone. This one comes from the BBC. University Students Union votes to go vegan. Well, it's keeping you tantalised. Which university is it? It is Warwick University. Three establishments at the University of Warwick are now required to adopt fully plant-based menus by 2027. The Students' Union is the eighth in the UK to vote through a motion to ditch meat and dairy. Now, Vivek Venkatram, the president of the university's Vegan and Vegetarian Society, said he was excited to work with catering teams on affordable, nutritious and delicious options. Nice rhymes there, Vivek. He said the motion had passed with huge backing, although when you read the article, it says that of the 1,472 students who voted, 52% opted for the change. So I, I, I might question that huge backing uh, quote, but it does sound like a nice uh, soundbite, doesn't it? See where he's coming from. The motion was entitled Plant-Based Warwick to Tackle the Climate Crisis for a Just Transition. So following the vote, the student union will now adopt 50% plant-based catering by the next academic year, and students hope to also influence externally run outlets on the Coventry-based campus before, like I say, in 2027, everything needs to be fully plant-based. Tom, I checked it out. I did a bit of Googling. seems that there are 166 universities in the UK. So that's eight down with the plant-basedness, just uh, 158 to go, right? Oh, I don't know. Ant. That just sounds like a lot of tofu eating wokarati to me. Um <laughs> Oh no! It's 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 obviously it's fantastic news. Um, you know, you know, adopting a fifty percent plant based uh, catering menus is brilliant. It's a fantastic step forward, and then it gives you know a precedent for other universities and other university uh, student unions to you know to step forward and say, well, hang on, it's happening in other universities up and down the country. Why not ours? So um, you know, hats off to you know to those students that you know fought that fight, and the the huge fifty two percent is um, you know it's. <laughs> 52% we'll take it you know we'll take it a win um, is a win just, exactly and I think that's the thing you've got to tick it off as a win column and you know hopefully more universities will follow suit I think as climate crisis worsens um, which unfortunately undoubtedly will there'll be more of a, a push um, into these plant-based eating options at you know wider establishments beyond universities um, so you know that's a, it's a good step in the right direction let's hope as I say that other student unions you know feel the same and they want to push their universities to maybe uh worcester is next ant maybe we we can do our bit can't we i wonder uh, cambridge university put this forward uh, a few months ago i wonder the impact that has because it's such a prestigious university in this country Mm. warwick is kind of like often plays second fiddle to to cambridge and oxford i I wonder whether that influenced it is kind of like oh we want to be like cambridge Who, who knows i guess well, that would be good if they want to imitate Cambridge. Go for it, if that's what they, you know, yeah, yeah, they're doing. You know, you got me thinking with the fifty-two percent. I think all around the world, any party that wins a, an election by fifty-two percent, they'll say we are the the big winners, a big majority, and we have four, five, or six years to rule the country. So, 
I'm I'm really happy. Fifty two percent is a lot. It's yeah. can you imagine mm. if we did that sort of uh, polls with. Uh, all the population, what would be the percentage we'd get to to back this? So I, I give big credit to this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think I might be quite upset by some of the results if we were doing referendums on everything and seeing what percentage of the population felt different things. Maybe it's best we don't know. But uh, no, so I'm still not over the last referendum anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's let's move on. In, f- in fact, before we do, by the way, everyone, happy Thanksgiving! Yay! Um, yay. <laughs> Wanted to give a shout out to Thanksgiving. It's not anything I don't think the three of us celebrate, but we've we've got a lot of American listeners out there. Our stats show us that there are a lot of you out there listening to each episode of Vegan Week across the pond. And indeed, your next story, Tom, ties into the American holiday season, doesn't it? It sure does. And it's from CBS News. Free Thanksgiving meals across the metro for those in need. So as Minnesotans prepared for Thanksgiving last week, one restaurant stepped up and provided a free holiday meal with all the fixings vegan style. Inside Jay Selby's, the plant-based restaurant cooked up magic and we're looking to make a difference one plate at a time. We just want everyone in the community to be able to access a warm meal during the holidays, said front-end manager Bryn Sieve. I believe that's pronounced. Apologies, Bryn. If do you think do you think that's a pun? Like a, a, a restaurant manager called Bryn Sieve? Oh, is it Sieve? Like that? Oh. Well, I don't know. It's like a kitchen implement, isn't well, it? That's why. Whatever, whatever Bryn's surname, however that's pronounced, Bryn. Again, apologies if you're listening, my friend. Bryn says they've been offering a free Thanksgiving meal, no questions asked, since they opened their doors back in 2017. She said the restaurant prepares between 250 and 400 meals every year. Doors open from 11am to 2pm or whilst supplies last. The meal is a vegan Thanksgiving plate with vegan turkey, stuffing, kale, quinoa salad and a dinner roll. Rich, a real good news story at a festive time of the year for our American friends. Absolutely. Makes me want to go there and just try out this this restaurant. This is a great initiative. It's a great way of helping the community. It's a great way of sharing vegan food and making realize people that we love people and we love animals. I mean, big, big credit to this restaurant. It's not hard to be nice, is it? It's not hard to be nice. No, absolutely not. So, yeah, I mean... Top, top in my list right now. Yeah, I don't think you'll be helping the climate crisis if you got a jumbo jet across the Atlantic just to get one vegan. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> I'll just get it delivered. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That's, get a drone to pop it over for you, an Uber Eats drone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that... yeah no, no, it's cracking. Yeah, it's cracking story. It is, and it, again, it shows the um, you know what humans are capable of if you know we, we put our mind to it when kind-hearted people do those things and it sounded like a delicious uh, Thanksgiving meal there served up by the good people at J Selby's in Minnesota and it turns out it's going to potentially be very good for people's health too rich yes our next story is from BMC Medicine Journal substitution of animal based with plant based foods on cardiometabolic health and all cause mortality a systematic review and meta-analysis of prospective studies. So, German researchers who analysed over 30 studies have found that swapping meat for plant-based foods may lower diabetes and heart disease risk. 
Evidence showed that replacing 50 grams of processed meat with plant-based food on a daily basis lowered cardiovascular disease risk by 25%. Substituting processed meats was also associated with a 21% lower risk of death from any cause. This review covered 37 different meta-analyses, so it covered a lot of data. The research team acknowledged several limitations to their study. For instance, dairy products were assessed as one group, rather than looking at difference between milk, yogurt and cheese. They also mentioned that the information only allows us to make associations and not causality. Anthony, thank goodness for German academics. Absolutely. I can just picture them now sat there in their in their lederhosen with their big stein of, of wheat beer, just sifting through these 37 meta-analyses. I mean, it's, it's great, isn't it? it I, I think when we've we've been in the vegan movement and on top of vegan news for as you know as, as long as the three of us have, like you, you're kind of not surprised by studies like this because it's I don't think it's telling us anything we've not heard before. But the fact is there'll be people out there who haven't heard this stuff before. So we, we almost need a, a constant stream, don't we, of these mm. studies coming in just so that it it keeps fighting the barrage of of PR that the meat industry, the dairy industry puts out too. So we're countering that and we're we're countering it not not just with advertising and with PR, but with actual science. So it's it's great, isn't it? Do, it, a question to, to the two of you, like those those numbers are great in that we've got cardiovascular disease risk dropping by 25% with a plant-based diet and just death from any cause that the risk dropping by 21%. Do you think those numbers are enough to persuade people to, to change? Because I don't know if it would be for me. I think if you're incredibly health conscious... It yeah. might be, but you know, that's, um, I'd hazard a guess that that's perhaps a minority of people. It's, I think the main thing here, as you say, and is that it's just another study to say, well, hang on, you know, the plant-based lifestyle, a vegan diet is the single best thing you can do for your health. There's so many studies, um, out there that, that, that all say, are all saying the same thing. And I think that consistency is also very important. So again, if you were a health conscious person and you were looking for ways to reduce the risk, especially if things like heart disease or, or, or cancer ran in your family, yeah. you know, you'd be hoping to look at things that you could do to reduce your, your risk. And I think it's also important that these studies continue to come out because I believe there was a study that came out in the um, ever so um, reliable Daily Mail <laughs> that uh, seemed to suggest that the consumption of meat was actually not a, a threat to your heart health. So I think, you know, more more research, more studies coming up saying, well, actually, that, that's just a load of nonsense. The more, the better, because then, you know, as long as there's more studies that, you know, tell us what we already know, and that just helps back us up when we're trying to make these points. If we're having a, a healthy discussion about a plant-based diet and its effects on health. Indeed. These studies help a lot for us vegans to, well, as you say, argue about the health benefits. But I think in general, the population does not read studies in general. I mean, it's very difficult for this information to go mainstream because it involves you having to look for it. And if you Google it, you will find probably 
equal number of entries, regardless of studies, that show that meat is much better for you and you should be eating five times a day. So I think what would be important is for health professionals to have this information and to start, in a way, filtering that information down when they see people um, with their patients and for other professionals to start believing, adopting, reading, and just, you know, acknowledging these studies, passing this information so people have the information from a, a professional, a health professional, which, you know, might be more, how do you say it, more, you'd be more confident. Like more trustworthy. Yeah, more trustworthy than if you just Google it. Yeah, I, I think it's my feeling at the moment here in this conversation is that actually it's it's really important for us to, to tackle these things from a variety of different directions because I, I can imagine even the most uh, um, independent of of health professionals still having personal biases that come in from the culture that they're in and the culture they've grown up in and, and other influences and mm. the, that they have in their life and the way that they live and how does their family live and what does their next door neighbor do and everything like that. And I think there are so many things that we need to change at once for this to really have a significant shift. But if we keep doing it, then it, it gradually will, won't it? You know, you hit the nail on the head. Unconscious bias is a, you know, is a really powerful, a powerful thing that the uh, plant-based and vegan movement needs to overcome. Mm. I mean, how many times do you hear the age old, oh, but where'd you get your protein from? And it's, you know, it's uh, an utterly ridiculous question, and all it takes it's is a pretty the question. <laughs> exactly, it's the question, but it's it's it. All it takes is a a very well, not even in depth knowledge of nutrition to know where vegans can get protein from. It's it's not rocket science, but it's a question that still gets asked again and again, and that's all because of I imagine unconscious bias. Okay, let's jet further around the world to India now for some more good news, Anthony. Indeed, from fnbnews.com, revised application fees for vegan logo endorsement. Now it's 10,000 rupees. Is that good news? Well, if I tell you that previously the fee stood at 25,000 rupees per product, you can see it's a big difference, a sort of a about 60% drop that, isn't it? So 10,000 rupees is about 95 pounds in, in British sterling or 120 US dollars. And that is the fee for getting the vegan logo endorsement on your product, providing it's vegan, of course. So this is the Indian Food Authority who've issued an order and the revised application fee for the vegan logo endorsement comes into a force with immediate effect. So they've, they're slashing the price of getting the vegan label on your product. Now, it's great that that cost has come down. My question, and that this could be one we could go on for for days on, so perhaps we'll put a time limit in place, is what do we think of there being an official vegan label that could be put on products? Like in, in this country, we've got the Vegan Society who kind of has the official one, but there are several others. And indeed, you know, supermarkets or anyone can put suitable for vegans on it. Like what what do we think about that as a as a concept, as a notion? Mixed feelings, if I'm honest, because on the one hand... I do not trust that much these labels. Uh, you just see, need to see the dolphin-friendly one, um, mm. you know, and all these things. I, I see it as money machines in a way. Can, sorry, Rich, but can you explain the context of the dolphin one? Because I've watched Seaspiracy, so I think I know what you're talking about, but a lot of listeners might not. Well, so 
if you want to buy fish, you might buy fish that is uh, classified or is endorsed by the dolphin friendly, I think it's called, dolphin friendly logo, which means that no dolphins have been harmed or caught or, well, haven't suffered in any way. When you see Seaspiracy, it's clearly, it's clear to you that dolphins are catched, they die. And it's just a way of clean washing the um, the perception from the consumer that what they're doing is ethical. And I don't blame them in terms of if you can choose, you'd always go for the more ethical option. But the reality is they just pay for this. They still catch dolphins unintentionally maybe, but uh, this doesn't really make any difference. So going back to the vegan label i do look for vegan the vegan label when i buy food and all this having said that if the government in this case i think it's the government right anthony which is doing it in india because it's the food authority so yeah it's the food authority of india it's the government this seems to me like taxation probably there's thousands of other endorsements which don't get me wrong at the end of the day if if these logos are enforced, it does help the consumer. If not, it's just a taxing machine. It, it do, Yes, potentially, although it is going to cost something to pay somebody a wage for their time in order to investigate, is this product vegan or not? So I, in an ideal world, I think it would be free, even if we... If we agree with the, the notion of there being a label, an official label, it probably does have some administrative cost. Um, but yeah, we can be sceptical as to, to to what extent it's it's paying for. And I, I've wondered about the Vegan Society. I mean, it, it costs £300 as, as a starting point in this country for a product. And that's if you are a very small business. So most businesses, it will, it will cost more. I wonder to what extent that covers the Vegan Society's cost of investigating it. And to what extent they're saying, well, do you know what? We're the vegan society. Like if anyone's going to be the arbiter of it, it's going to be us. So we're going to make a little bit of money off it, which again, I kind of can't blame them because they've, you know, if that's their main thing and that helps them stay afloat as an organization, I kind of think fair enough, but I don't know. It leaves a funny taste in the mouth. Everything costs money. Even our HMRC that collects money costs money. Sorry, what's your point? My point is that this is the government in, in India. It's not a private company. So, yeah, it does have cost, but everything has cost. So that's all yeah. already subsidized by taxpayers' money. Yeah. So why have to pay more if it's taxpayers' money? This is what I mean. We could go on about this forever, couldn't we? Can we reach a consensus as to, like, would we rather it not say suitable for vegans on a product? Or are we, are we all pleased that it does say that on products? I think it makes life easier. But even when I see suitable for vegans on products in this country, I still double check the label. Do you really? Um, oh, I feel like so naive here because as soon as I see that, I'm like, oh, thank goodness for that. I, I, think, I, I think do some, exactly I, the same. I still double check. But it's it's like Rich said about like the, the dolphin safe tuna and stuff like that. I mean, we know that companies stamp things on products. I mean, look at free range eggs and the red tractor. We know that those things are put in place to make consumers feel better about their choices but so many undercover studies have been done to show that half the time it's a load of nonsense anyway so it, it I, I get what you mean and i think it's a nice clear sort of look we're vegan which is which is great 
I think I'm I'm more I'm less inclined to double check ingredients if I see a vegan society label. Yeah, same, uh, same. Whether that's naivety or not, but if I see a non-vegan society sort of thing on the front of a box of a packet of cereal or something, I would still just know by instinct or I don't know. I'd still double check just in case because there's been times before where I've picked something up and it says like in a unbranded suitable for vegans and on the back it's like vitamin D. And then there's a lot of questions about where does that vitamin D come from? So I, I would like to flip the coin and say, why do vegans need to pay the cost? Can we do it the other way? Whatever is not vegan, they need to pay to say that this product contains animals or is not vegan. I mean, it, it, it all depends what normality you adopt. I can understand, for example, that maybe gluten-free which it's an allergy is different, but in the but still then, still then, if you're celiac, if you follow that argument, Rich, like why should a celiac have to pay the cost? It's not their fault that they're allergic to to gluten or wheat. This this is the issue with it, isn't it? Yeah, but the thing is, do they yeah. that should be gov- uh, from the government? I don't know. Is in the UK gluten free? Uh, badge is that by the government or is it a private corporation well i think it depends because there's there's several different ones like a company producing their own food could just say this is suitable for celiacs or they'll be probably like the celiac society will do its own badge of approval and i I think it depends in in any case we all pay the price of having to put this stamp on our products so i think meat should also have a, a badge or they should have to pay so i'd like to flip the coin we should leave it to you, Richard, to design the badge for uh, contains animal products. I look forward to seeing what that would look like. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I think we should move on. Perhaps we can continue this conversation in the second half or later when we haven't got more news to yeah. cover. Now, I'm really sad to be reporting this because I was so excited when this story first broke. Our next story is from Farming UK. NatWest, to review its app, after customers told to ditch red meat. So, back in episode 9, we reported on the new NatWest footprint tracker that gave suggestions to customers on how they could reduce their carbon footprint. Several suggestions included swapping dietary choices towards a plant-based diet. However, following pressure from the National Farmers Union, NatWest says it will conduct a full review of its banking app. The NFU met with the bank following concerns raised by farmers, with the union calling the anti-meat and anti-dairy message oversimplified. The NFU highlighted the damage such recommendations could do for the British red meat and dairy sectors, saying that British meat and dairy are among the most sustainable in the world, with figures showing that UK beef emissions are less than half the global average. NatWest have now committed to a content review on the carbon tracker. Anthony, do you feel like Christmas has been cancelled? Honestly, I was crestfallen when I saw this. I was sat with my partner researching for the show and I showed her it and we were both just like, no, because we were so, like you said, Rich, we were so excited. Like a couple of weeks ago, you've got a major bank in its app saying, hey, maybe maybe swap swap to some plant-based foods there. That, that would be a good thing. And then lo and behold, 
two weeks of lobbying from the National Farmers Union. Oh, uh, we've changed our mind. Actually, we'll take all those bits off the app. We don't want to upset anybody. I got quite cross after that. And I thought, do you know what? This is exactly why our podcast exists. Because if, if you just say to somebody, you know, there's there's lobbying from the meat industry, there's lobbying from the dairy industry, like they're, they're getting inside the government, they're getting inside companies. It just makes you sound like a conspiracy theorist, like a, a nutcase. But this this is a real life example of something that a business has done. And then two weeks later, they're going back on it because a few people from the farmers union have said, nah, don't do that. That's a bad idea. That will damage our brand. And and the spineless so-and-sos at NatWest have gone, yeah, OK, then. Like, it, it just makes me really cross. Am I am I alone here? I feel like I might be uh, getting cross for no reason. <laughs> nope. I, I, I'm surprised you couldn't hear my eye roll through my mic <laughs> as Rich was reading that. I'm, it's just utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. The science is so clear. Reducing your consumption of meat and dairy is the single most impactful thing you can do to reduce your, like, you know, your impact on the environment. It's just infuriating and hypocrisy to the highest order. Highlights the damage it could do. Good, your industry should be dead and on its knees. <laughs> Screw your damage. I, mean, I know that these people have got livelihoods and I, I, I empathize with, on a sort of a humane level there. But at the end of the day, you're killing animals for goodness sake. Yeah. Don't preach me about the damage it could do. Yeah. That people are more aware of how their dietary choices uh, could have a positive impact on the environment. It, it's just, just not an argument, though, is it? It's not an argument to say, oh, the, the thing, the, the, the data that you're sharing with people there, that could damage my industry. Well, well, if you were selling children, if you were selling slaves, if you were, you know, if you had a human trafficking business, like that argument wouldn't stand up. So you can't, you can't just use that as an excuse, can you? It's just, I, th- I think it's really disappointing that mm. that actually it doesn't hold up any scrutiny whatsoever. It's just, it, it comes across as just peer pressure. The peer pressure—that's probably the wrong phrase, but you know what I mean. It's just NatWest have caved to a little bit of pressure, and as you say, Ant, and you wonder why you know, so many times that vegans often get called conspiracy theorists because we point out the lobbying that's done on behalf of the, the meat and dairy industry. It's just, uh, yeah, really disappointing. Oh, no, I would suggest that it's very strange from that West because probably, you know, the right thing would be for their customers to go plant-based so the bank can store their money for longer. Well, absolutely. Let, let's send them a letter to that effect, put in, put in a proposal. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we need to get the vegan society to to lobby NatWest. Maybe if they're that spineless, <laughs> if, if, if a few angry vegans then get in touch with them next week, maybe they'll do another U-turn on their U-turn. If I may, while we're on the subject of blatant greenwashing and um, and people just putting out propaganda to get their their own agenda out there, let's let's look at this next story from the AHDB, which is the Agriculture and Horticulture Development Board. They've released a film called Farming a Greener Future. So this is a newly released film. They made it in partnership with ITN Business and they're showcasing the future of sustainable agriculture and the unique role livestock has to play in it. Oh, yes, livestock has a role to play in the future of sustainable agriculture. I have sat down and watched all 28 minutes of it. That's 28 minutes of my life. I'm not getting back. What I've done so as to not inflict anyone else on it, I've created a mega mix of my favourite bits to play now. So we'll play that, see what you all think. Here we go. 
Meat is a key source of protein and can have a role in a balanced diet, as you say. But some people do say we need to eat less. What's your opinion? I think the less meat message, it's, it's not very helpful, really, because what does less meat actually mean? Absolutely. What could it possibly mean? How very confusing. Almost as confusing as this next clip. Turns out animal agriculture is on animal side after all. Bering at Ingelheim Animal Health works closely with vets and farmers across the industry to help ensure no animal suffers from preventable disease and to balance and optimise the health of animals, people and the environment. So it's fine, everyone. No animal will befall preventable harm. Although this final clip suggests there may be something different at the heart of farmers' motivations. And here in Dorset, vet and farmer John Walsh closely monitors the health of his herd. And that starts from the moment his calves are born. It's so important because we really like to have healthy animals and see the young stock coming up through the herd in a healthy way and breeding our own young stock is very fulfilling. And as part of the vets as well, we work together with lots of our clients to try and increase the efficiency and healthiness of the animals coming through so that they eventually will be productive animals that will help farmers become profitable and sustainable in the future. Isn't it, isn't it great news? Those, those animals will be delighted that they're helping the farmers become profitable in the, in the future. That must have been weighing on their mind a lot. Um, right, Tom, Richard, help me out here before I get very cross. I think that needs to come with a trigger warning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, going back to that, that clip about what is less? I, I teach six-year-olds. They can tell you what less is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, eat less meat. It's such a confusing message, isn't it? What does and that, that mean? Oh, and again, it goes back. I mean, I've already pointed this out. The key bit in that first clip about like, oh, meat is a good source of protein. But the key word there is protein. Your body needs protein. Protein can be found in plants that do not cause and do not contain things like cholesterol and trans fats and all these saturated fats and all these other horrible things that clog up your arteries, in increase your risk of heart disease, strokes, cancers. It, it, it's, it's, it's again, I'm surprised you can't hear my eye roll. Uh, through, <laughs> I think you need to mind. get that looked at, Tom. It's, oh, it sounds like a really dangerous condition. I'm just really, I'm really cross, Anne. I'm just really angry. <laughs> I was really surprised to see the the fact that they've combined with ITN Productions on this. Like that's a national television network putting this out. It, it honestly, watching it, it looked like a North Korean propaganda channel. Like it was just so like humane washing and it, it was mm. like an advert i was i was really surprised to see a a major television network going for it but then i suppose they are they're funded by advertising so if they get paid enough money they'll they'll fund it really since when partnership means lobbying yeah <laughs> it's kind of they, they've just swapped the words i mean i have no words to describe mm. what i've heard and you know it it makes me wonder it makes me want to ask them what do you think about the sixth mass extinction Mm. Uh, do you have anything to say about it? No, no, we think it's going fine. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I do stand by the fact that on, on the show, like we do report from Farming UK every, every week. I know like sometimes it's a bit painful and it's a bit bit of a, a grind to do so. But I, I think staying on top of the current rhetoric in that industry, because that is that is the major source of animal suffering. Uh, at, at the moment in 2023 isn't it it is in the animal agriculture sector so staying on top of that and staying informed i think is important i like to think that such blatant propaganda that is quite easily refutable 
it, it maybe it's just me being an optimist, it, but I like to think it's a sign that uh, the meat and dairy industries are failing. Mm. That's what I like to think. Yeah. Well, um, I, I went on the, I watched this on YouTube and I watched it about um, 36 hours after the film had been put up there. It had got 200 views and it had got one like and no comments. I was very tempted to leave the first comment. But like, it, my point is, it's not stuff that people are engaging with. I, I would assume mm. that people are seeing through it. I might have a quick Google now and see what the what the like and the, the view count is up to. But... Oh, yeah, go on. Because then we can, we can drop that into the episode. That'd be fantastic. Oh, so we're up to 209 views now. So, oh, God. <laughs> sorry, that's really noisy. Um, it, it's you watching it nine times. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Yeah, so... Uh, 24 hours later it's not got any more likes and it's been watched 10 times so frankly i'm quite glad that they're wasting their money on it all right i know what will cheer us up how about a vegan strongman releasing an animal liberation video game yes. i'm really excited about this because i've been following this uh, for quite a while um, and this is from Ep mxdwn.com and it's the kickstarter helping patrick baboomiam release a video game on animal rights so you may have seen patrick in um uh, game changers a fantastic personality um, and he is the first internationally successful strongman to adopt a strictly vegan lifestyle who has recently revealed the launch of uncage total liberation an eagerly awaited animal rights video game Eager to propel this gaming venture to fruition, Baboumian has embarked on a Kickstarter campaign. So Uncage Total Liberation is an immersive video game that thrusts players into the captivating role of an undercover animal rights activist, inviting them to navigate a complex world tasked with the challenging mission of liberating animals. This ambitious project culminates over two years of meticulous and dedicated development, promising an engaging and thought-provoking gaming experience so the kickstarter is live who's in yeah definitely definitely it's oh it just looks great i was i was thinking we've we've heard quite a few stories on vegan week the last few weeks about people who are wanting to go into slaughterhouses to film things who are wanting to go on laboratories or farms property to, to liberate animals and and the kind of the harsh sentences that that the law affords them well actually if you can you can kind of get your eye in by doing it in a video game you know get all the techniques ready and then maybe you can you know that'll inspire you to to go one step further although i don't necessarily believe that playing a video game then affects how you behave in in everyday life but it's great isn't it great advocacy good for him yeah i think this is is great i mean we have hundreds if not thousands of games that require you to kill so having one that you know is from the other side Gosh, that's brilliant. And why not? I don't know how old you'll have to be to play this game, because that will be an interesting thing to know. Could be 18 plus, 16 plus. What a sad indictment of society if there was an age restriction on a game where you were saving animals. Do you know what I mean? So you've you've got to be 12 to, to play this game where you're breaking the human-made law to, to save an animal's life. That, that would be, a, oh gosh, that depressed me. I hope not. <laughs> it wouldn't be a strange thing, you know, depending on the graphical images you see. Obviously, I, I haven't played the game, but it depends. It could be 12 plus, 16 plus. But anyway, mm. great to see it. I think it would be good as well to, to raise the awareness of it because I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't really know that these things went on. 
until I became immersed into vegan culture and, and went to vegan festivals and things like that. And so I imagine there's a great proportion of the population that doesn't know that people do put their liberty on the line for the sake of animals, innocent animals' lives. And I think it's great to raise the profile of it. So personally, I hope that hope the game becomes a bestseller and it, it raises the profile of yeah, it. Let's do it. Okay, well, we've just got one story to go before we talk all things vegan Christmas survival. And the first step for surviving vegan Christmas might just be helped out by this article from Wales Online. Cheapest supermarket to buy a vegan-friendly Christmas dinner revealed. Well, before we reveal all, place your guesses. Which UK supermarket do you think will have the cheapest like-for-like comparison for a Christmas dinner? Well, the answer is... Lidl. Consumer finance experts at littleloans.com conducted research into the price of key vegan Christmas dinner staples from the UK's biggest supermarkets. The items included in the Christmas dinner comparisons were as follows. Nut roast, parsnips, roast potatoes, carrots, Brussels sprouts, red cabbage, cranberry sauce, stuffing, vegan friendly gravy granules. So the first question, Tom, Rich, are you happy with those choices on on the plate? There, are they are they missing anything for your for your Christmas dinner? Oh, maybe some peas and sweet corn, um, and of course, um, you know, Ooh. where are the vegan Yorkshire puddings at? Where are they at? Because you know, that's true. Um, vegan Yorkshire puddings are a hard one to come by. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all your staples there, isn't it? Really, I mean, you've got your roast potatoes. That's the the single most important part of a Christmas dinner, in my humble opinion. I think the red cabbage was a controversial inclusion. I've never heard of that for a Christmas dinner. I've seen it on Christmas dinners before, but I've never been one to have it. Yeah. Okay. You happy with that that plate, Richard? You 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 devour that? I, w- I was going to say that probably I wouldn't go to a supermarket, but my local cafe or restaurant and ask them if they provide these kind of foods. Um, because if I go and eat there many times or if i go you know and buy coffee and all all the goods that they offer was as in to as in to support them to to kind of give your money to them well because i'll make sure that it's made with lots of love from a vegan place and probably it will be much tastier or i don't know you know there's something about buying it when someone is producing it and you collect it the day before, two days before Christmas, it's something special. And let's be honest, it's Christmas. Even though the cost of living has gone up very much, I don't think they would charge you forty pounds for it. Now, I'm I'm not saying that's I'm not saying those thirty pound difference or twenty pound difference is. Mm. I know it's a lot, but it's Christmas, and we spend money in many different ways. You know. You you could think of it as, why don't I put just £5 away every month? When it comes to December, I'll have £60 to buy a special meal from the, the vegan restaurant or the vegan cafe, which I buy coffee regularly, or, or I know they'll put so much effort in providing a delicious experience. And on top of that, what if, and I'll know, I know we'll talk about it later, but probably you want to impress someone and, and you want to, you know, say, gosh, is this vegan? This is delicious. Well, you might want to go for a more expensive option. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, I mean, let's hope. 
Lidl's lawyers aren't listening because I think by uh, implication there you've implied that they don't care about their food and it won't impress anyone. I'm not going to say whether I agree or disagree. No, I am. I'm all for honesty. I completely agree with you. Um, interestingly, the price differential, the cheapest was Lidl at £8.83 for those items. The most expensive was Marks and Spencer's at £16.80. So like you say, eight, £8 is £8, but at Christmas you, you would have thought people might be willing to spend a, a bit more or like you say rich excellent financial advice there bit of money aside the rest of the year and you can uh, go go big i i bought some uh, getting sidetracked here i bought some cheese from la fromagerie in london uh, at, at the weekend the all vegan cheese place and my goodness that tasted good that was worth every penny and it was quite a few pennies um but it was, that proves my point yeah 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 no it's great it was great there were i did eat it a month early it was supposed to be for christmas but i ate it within 24 hours anyway starting to falafel on probably need to bring things to a close so a question to the enough for the falafel community out there listening what are your thoughts on this week's news is a dog meat ban in korea cause for celebration should the vegan trade might be free and would you be down to play an animal liberation video game and moreover is there anything we've missed or in fact got completely wrong let us know your opinions indeed we'd love to hear from you and just a reminder if you spot news or articles that you think would catch our interest get in touch with us by email at enough of the falafel at gmail.com we're also at Enough of the Falafel on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, where you can get little sneak previews on the news we're covering in each episode. Give us a follow if that's your jam. This show is kindly sponsored by our friends at Fire and Flow Coffee Roasters. And they're such great people. They're offering all Enough of the Falafel listeners a cheeky 10% off orders on their online store when using the code FALAFEL10. That's FALAFEL, the number 10. Fire and Flow, a specialty coffee roastery based in the Cotswold with a fully vegan coffee shop on site. Yeah, they're a vegan founded company too. They're run by three friends, Shah, Callum and Phil, and they specialise in roasting and supplying wholesale coffee beans to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels and offices. For the wholesale part of their operations, they work with other businesses to help them get the most out of their coffee offering, with free barista training and full technical support included. The products themselves are the result of their passion for working with skilled and ethical-minded farmers who produce the highest quality beans. Fire and Flow then roast them to perfection in small batches at their roastery in Sirencester, which you can visit at any time book onto one of their barista courses or roastery tours via their website fireandflowcoffee.co.uk While you're there, you can check out the beautiful, fully vegan coffee shop on site. I've been there myself. It's absolutely brilliant and it's open seven days a week from nine till three. The last time I went, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was glorious. It's just a fab place to hang out and feel good about life. Give them a follow on Instagram to get the latest at fireandflowcoffee. And for those online orders, remember the code exclusively for our brilliant Enough of the Falafel community. That is Falafel10. 10. 10 is 1 and 0. So Falafel10. You know, Fire and Flow's coffee could be a great gift for Christmas. And speaking about Christmas, are we reaching that time of the year where many vegans find it difficult to cope? 
Christmas parties, family meals, conversation about food, endless reminders that people will consume big amounts of animal products, or it could be the countless acts showing how families prepare meat or turkey. This week, we want to talk about how the vegans get through Christmas. What are the limits? How do you cope? And what are the strategies we put in place or we can put in place? So what about if we start by identifying the challenges? Anthony, from a vegan perspective, what is the biggest challenge you face for Christmas? So I'm, I'm glad you said from a vegan perspective, because I, I think just personally for me, the biggest challenge around Christmas time is the overwhelming glut of capitalism that is just shoved in your face and I, I find that quite distasteful and that's that's the hardest thing that I live with over that time of year there's obviously so many positives that you can derive at this time of year and I think it's a good opportunity to make the most of those even if you don't agree with the with the whole package from a vegan perspective I think it would probably be hearing people waxing lyrical about animal products that they're consuming I obviously would rather that nobody's consuming animal products ever. I accept that in 2023 or at any time in the near future, people are going to continue consuming animal products to a degree because cultural change takes a long time. However, I think because people are really proud of their Christmas dinner, they're buying special food in for Boxing Day or however families or, or friends do it, they're really proud of it. As we've mentioned in the news section, it might be one of the pricier lots of meals that you consume over the year, the most expensive ones. And so you want value for money. You want it to be really good, really impressive. And so people will talk about it. And I, I, I want a better phrase than this, but it's kind of shoved in our face a lot more, I feel, at this time of the year. Ads are fine because you can mute and you can turn turn them off. But I um, sitting at a table with people talking about how beautiful the turkey is that's that's really difficult and for that i'm i'm grateful that it's only a few days a year you know maybe my, my experience last year I, I sat down at a table of of omnivores and and another vegan twice once on christmas day once on new year's day um, and animal products were consumed as as well as our vegan meal and yeah sort of conversations about oh they're beautiful pigs and blankets aren't they oh how, how delicious is the turkey and a lot of that is your, your people are complimenting the chef. You know, so very often there's a member of the family who works their backside off on Christmas Day to to bring a delicious meal for for everybody, and you know that's a really lovely thing. Of course, we can take take issue with the fact that there's animal products involved, but the the whole thing of trying really hard to produce a meal for for other people that you love that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But then complimenting them by going oh the turkey's beautiful well no 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 the turkey was beautiful when it was alive <laughs> and then we paid someone to kill it so I find that very hard to take and my way of coping with that is just <laughs> repeatedly saying in my head it's just today it's just today it's just today and it's it's important for me to have um, a day quite soon to Christmas day if not the 26th then maybe the 27th where it's kind of celebrating Christmas the way that I really want to that's not there's no compromise so it you know if I'm in a if I'm in a household on Christmas day where animal products are being consumed when it's when it's my Christmas or the way I really want to do it let's say it's the 27th for argument's sake there'll be no animal products we're completely vegan and and 
you know there's there aren't those compromises that really really great so i think that'd be the hardest thing for me i've i've talked a lot there tom do you want to do you want to share your yeah. your biggest yeah. challenge at this time of year um i mean it's, it, it's got to be about the food i mean even before christmas day you got all the talk um of people looking forward to consuming animal products be that uh, turkey chicken beef uh, you know fish uh, chocolate cheese you know the list is um is endless and that can be quite tricky and like you say and you sort of just sit there and you grit your teeth and you sort of just go mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then there's of course the actual christmas day itself and um I, my family lived, uh, my, I say my family, my parents lived down in Brighton, my wife and her family, we live up here in the Midlands. So we sort of alternate Christmases. Um, I find it very difficult cooking when I'm up here in the Midlands for Christmas. I flat out refuse to to cook meat. I, I will not do it. And that can sometimes uh, come across as I'm being difficult. Um, however, I wouldn't ask someone to compromise their ethics, uh, you know, for me, you know, but you know, so that that can be quite tricky. Um, so what normally happens is I'll cook the the, the bulk of the uh, the food up here, um, and then in laws will cook whatever products they wish. Um, but that can come across as me being difficult, um, and I'm aware of the strain that that puts on my wife, um, mm. as you know she's the one that's probably going to get it in the neck about her husband being awkward. Um, mm. When I'm down south with my parents, I find the hardest part of the day the fact that the house just stinks, mm. and I feel. Yeah physically sick and it's the difficulty of as you say and it's compromise because i the one on the one hand i don't want to deny how i feel but on the same time i don't want to upset my mother as you say and you know so these people often go to great lengths to prepare and sort these meal out uh it's, you know cook these meals for people so it's that sort of that battle of just today it's just today it's just today but when you're feeling physically sick because the house stinks of dead animal uh, that's um, very, very difficult. So I like to, well, over the last few years, I've taken myself out for walks during the day, which I find is a great way to clear my head, um, get some fresh air in the lungs as well. Mm. Um, so th- that's part of one of my coping strategies. In that situation, I've got to remember that, as you say, Anne, it's a compromise. And I very much, of course, don't agree with it, but I also have to respect and appreciate that my, my I don't want to upset my mother. So it's a hard balance to to, to, to often get in. Um, but no, food is a huge one. And also just quickly jumping in there about being a parent now as well. Mm-hmm. The worry that, you know, someone who doesn't understand what vegan veganism really is, like my mother-in-law, that she might accidentally slip my son a chocolate or a piece of cheese or, or something without even considering the fact that he's vegan. That's a fear that has reared its head in the last year. So, yeah, that will be an interesting battle to potentially have uh, this Christmas. Can I ask, but there's potentially a risk there, isn't there, that you could be seen as being a, a bad parent because you're you're denying your child that it, it's very specific things or oh, you're, you're you're spoiling this time of year for your child. It's supposed to be magical, but you're not letting them have that chocolate off the Christmas tree or, or, or things like that. Is there an element of that? Or if I just introduce um, that fear into your head, <laughs> um, it's not not something we've sort of really coped with yet. Um, when we went down south last year, my mum was excellent. You know, I don't want to give across this impression that my mum's this horrible person that cooks meat <laughs> to spite me. She's been fantastic at you know providing vegan food for myself, for my wife, and last year buying 
chocolates that were vegan for the Christmas tree. So whilst my younger nephews, um, you know, they were having dairy chocolate from the tree. My son had his own specific vegan ones. And he's at an age where it was like, oh, no, that's not yours. This one's yours. And he's okay with that. But, Mm. you know, it it potentially something that, you know, as we get he gets older, that might be another thing to overcome. So vegan parents out there, if you have any tips, please let me know. You know, at the end of the day, he's a vegan and he he, our wishes as parents need to be adhered to. So please, I say to my family, please don't give our child anything that's not vegan because that's not okay. It does show though that actually, like we've heard there, real difficulties like sitting in a in a house with like a such a stench that it's it's making you wretch you're wanting to go outside but actually like you finish there by saying what i see is like a great opportunity like you're introducing people into products vegan products that they perhaps ordinarily wouldn't be experiencing and i i I don't know if either of the two of you have experienced this like going to visit a friend or a family member who's not vegan and actually they've bought specific products in for you to make you feel welcome to to be hospitable at this time of year and actually like that's that's great isn't it and that that wouldn't happen if you weren't visiting them at that time of year i think you're spot on i think again it we talked about earlier in the show about human kindness and i think that it's very easy to to make it an us and them sort of situation um but i think in people's hearts i don't think anyone is going to sit there at a christmas table and eat meat in spite you know and go oh i'm eating this turkey because i want to spite the vegans i don't think i don't think in their hearts most people are like that um and i've seen over the last few years friends and family go to great lengths to sort of i say accommodate but accommodate our life our, our ethical and our lifestyle choices um for which we are very grateful for um, because they don't have to do that. You know, when you go to their house, they don't have to do that, but they do. So that in itself, should, in my opinion, should be celebrated. So Rich, obviously, you know, I've just chatted there about what I find particularly difficult. Is there anything uh, particularly difficult at this time of year that you find is a, is a bit of a struggle? I'd say more than difficult, irritating, because it's the idea of peace and love and murder all mixed up. I I really struggle a lot with ads at work friends you name it and oh but christmas is all about peace and love and being together being together is okay the part of peace and love is the one that really irritates me because i'm like well peace and love for whom for who because i i don't want to if i really want to live in peace and love first of all i wouldn't only do it for christmas i'd do it all all year long, all around the year. And it's just getting into talking to people and, and, and trying to explain that peace and love is about respect and it's about caring and it's about respecting every life. And obviously the world would be vegan if they were listening to me. It's not clearly, so I've <laughs> clearly failed. Uh, you have, Richard. In, in transmitting in, you know, this message. What a but failure you are. The, I know. That's the most upsetting thing. It's I do understand that people want to gather together, that people will eat turkey, will eat uh, animal-based food. But when they come to me and they say, but it's all about peace. That really is the moment I struggle. 
really. Yeah. And it's not. So how do you deal with that then? They never invite me again for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, is that like? Because that is a strategy. I've I've used that strategy. I've I've had like basically opt out Christmases where it's just like that's too much. the problem I have is I tend to be very sarcastic and usually that comes across as not very good. And I'll put examples that I can't even name on this podcast as examples, you know, of yeah. why I think that's not the right way of thinking. Is, is, it, is it fair to say then that your like one coping strategy you have is to kind of reduce the size of circle that you're spending time in and making sure it's with people that that you do resonate with. Yes, exactly. Because at the end of the day, it needs to be a celebration for me too, right? I need to enjoy Christmas. And therefore, I'm saying this because my parents are dead. If my parents were not dead, would be a different story because probably I'd go and see them. But that's not the case. So I do not have that experience because, well, they were long gone before I was vegan. But from a work and friend environment, I mean, they'll still be my friends, but I won't spend certain key dates with them. Yeah. Um, I like to think as Christmas for myself, and this might be a bit metaphysic, but spending time more with myself and and with my partner, which thinks the same and probably, you know, be aware of all the ones that have been killed. It's like Thanksgiving, for example. Yeah, yeah. I saw a post that... Um, on Instagram about someone saying, well, one minute or five minutes of silence for the 56 million turkeys killed for Thanksgiving Day. So most of Christmases now are spent doing something meaningful related to the animals. Yeah. And it could be just meditating or could be helping someone. It could be many things. But but because I do not have that conflict, but... um, yeah, yeah. and I'm very sarcastic, and I give examples that upset people. Yeah, good work, good good strategies, Richard. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I that's my way of having self preservation. I mean, I'm sure you both do something just to yeah. keep sane during these days. So, what, what do you do, Anthony, to keep sane? Uh, um, I think i i can I can be in a compromised situation for a a reasonably long period, I suppose, for like a day or two if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm compromising. I, w- I won't compromise on my own actions, but if I'm in the presence of people who are really enjoying their turkey loudly or, or, or going head over heels with capitalism, like I can I can do that for the, for the sake of family for a couple of days. But knowing that I've got some, something to look forward to, I really like a park run on Christmas Day. That's kind of like one of my favourite things to do. So, and that's you know, nine o'clock in the UK, it starts. So get a Christmas day park run done. And then if, if the other bits later in the day and not exactly how I like, then great. My partner's a really good baker. So like, even if the, the Christmas dinner itself is mixed in that there'll be vegan stuff and there'll be non-vegan stuff on the table, she might make a dessert that is suitable for everyone. So the dessert is completely vegan is for everybody. Um, that's really nice. That just feels like a like a little win. Not not that it's us against them, but like, I don't know, if you, if you can feel like there's 
a little victory somewhere or, or victory is the wrong word, bit of progress somewhere, bit of advocacy yeah. that wouldn't be happening if you weren't there. I, d- I don't know if either of you have heard of the liberation pledge, but it's this idea that you won't sit down at a table with people who are consuming animal products in the same way that you wouldn't sit down at a table with somebody who is being racist. You wouldn't sit down at a table with somebody who's being transphobic. And it's a form of saying, I'm not tolerating this violent behaviour. There was a period in my life where I think I believed that and I, I kind of lived that out. But now I'm kind of more thinking, well, do you know what? If I'm there at the table, that's a loving thing to do. And actually, if a, if a sentence here or a sentence there, probably not as sarcastic as Richard, but like, you know, you, you might be able to just advocate for animals slightly if then, and, and that's better than if you weren't there. So kind of looking for the small bits of progress and small victories. Plus, I remember that Veganuary is around the corner. That's one thing about Christmas, isn't it? You've got like the biggest vegan celebration. It's, I mean, it's taken over uh, World Vegan Day, World Vegan Month in November, really, hasn't it? Like when January rolls round, from a selfish point of view, you know that there's going to be loads more vegan products than normal. But also so many people are going to be trying out the lifestyle awareness of, of animal agriculture is, is going to be really up there. So that's that's something to look forward to. I mean, what, what about you, Tom? Yeah, I think, as you say, Anne, it's looking for those little wins. A few years ago, um, my wife made a homemade nut roast from scratch. Nice. Um, which went down a real treat, um, a table full of omnivores. Uh, with myself and Amy, my wife, being the vegans and my father being a vegetarian. That was the thing that people went back to have more of. And that's where their conversation is, oh, this is vegan. This is really nice. And it might sound daft to some vegans to hear that. But, you know, when when you have those sorts of conversations, it it does make some people go, oh, actually, you know, maybe I don't need to consume as much animal products. And it just, as I say, it happened that that's the thing that people went back for more of instead of the things like, you know, the the king, the pigs in blankets and whatnot. So looking forward to those little wins and those little conversations um, you can have around the dinner table are really important. Um, and as you say, knowing that after a day of compromise, because I mean, I love Christmas. I, 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 I always have. Um, for me, Christmas is mine and my own. And then for the actual Christmas day of it all, I might have to compromise on that day, but I do so out of love for my family Mm. and it is difficult but you know that's you know unfortunately that's just life um and you know we can make the argument that that shouldn't be Mm. uh, life. but you know as you say with vaganya around the corner with the conversations that undoubtedly brings um the huge influx of vegan products into supermarkets and into shops um you know it's a really positive way to sort of you know kick off the new year and after such a gluttonous period of, you know, animal products, it's suddenly, bam, well, actually, let's talk about vegan food. So that's that. That's good. So do you think in general, Christmas is a good time to be an, to be an animal advocate or animal activist and be a, a, an activist? Or is it kind of, okay, no, or, or be very subtle with your comments and maybe leave it for after and build those bridges so you can continue talking to people? you know, after Christmas. So I think a general rule that works really nicely for animal advocacy is to always be ready to do it if the time comes. But actually, if you've got a hard and fast rule that I always make a comment about animal suffering during Christmas dinner, 
well, what's your audience? Are they, are they ready for it? Do they want to hear it? Are you going to be undermining the message? So I think in life, my general rule at the moment is to always be ready to advocate on behalf of animals, but it's got to be the right time. And uh, actually, I can imagine an example where, you know, Tom's wife has done an incredible nut roast for a group of omnivores on Christmas Day. Well, that could be the perfect time if everyone's enjoying it. If if no one's enjoying it, then it's probably the wrong time, isn't it? And we'll just, you know, but um <laughs> poor Amy. She's she's excellent at cooking. I've I've enjoyed her dandelion honey before, but uh we're yeah. getting sidetracked. But I, I think the point is like waiting for the right time is mm. is gotta be the key, hasn't it? Because you could kill it dead or it could be perfect. It's yeah. it's all about the yeah. context. Knowing your audience knowing your timing and knowing your tone. Some people respond quite well to what we might call the earthling ed approach, where everything is very well reasoned, very calm. And some people, very few, I imagine, might respond better to a Joey Carbstrong sort of loud and, you know, no, you're wrong. Um, It's, yeah, it's just about knowing your audience and, you know, how people are going to respond because something might, something so small especially around a dinner table after someone's just been cooking for X amount of hours could, could be quite a triggering thing. Mm. That doesn't mean those conversations should be avoided. It, it just means, as I say, sort of getting your timing and your tone correct. I'd say as a general rule of thumb that Christmas Day or Christmas in general is not the time to be doing a vegan hard sell, much as we'd like to, much as we feel triggered as emotive as it is. The fact is it's an emotive time of year. It means so much to so many people. And if you are basically pissing on that bonfire by being a vegan killjoy and giving people hard truths or, or trying to convince them to, to do something they don't want to, whether or not they should, from an animal point of view, from the environment point of view, for their health or whatever, like... Does it matter if you manage to persuade somebody to go vegan on Christmas Day or January the 3rd or February the 12th? Of course, animals are in state of emergency. We want to, you know, we want to make these changes as soon as we possibly can. But like, let's play the percentages. How many people are you going to convince on Christmas Day when someone in their family is, is, you know, worked their backside off? To, to make a yeah. meal like I, I i just don't see it happening as much as much as i hate to say as much as i hate mm. to say it no, it's, a, it's a marathon isn't it not isn't a it yeah i'd wait until probably very early boxing day very early in the morning <laughs> <and> <laughs> hang, hangover <laughs> kicks in and your head is killing killing you and i'm there talking about all the bad stuff and you'd do anything just to get me to shut up but 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 on a on a genuine point like in terms of like how can you best advocate for animals well you know maybe maybe on boxing day you're still with your family and you've had your green smoothie and you know you're not feeling lethargic because you've not got a belly full of turkey you're feeling sprightly because you've had amy's nut roast and um you know some plant-based trifle or whatever like and in boxing day you're feeling great as the only vegan in the building and everyone else is feeling rubbish like that that can advocate for animals, can't it? Like, it doesn't have to be a lecture, which is not problem. No, I, okay, one of the most mild comments I can do is, like, why are you here if you're vegan? I thought you didn't want to see us eat meat. I said, well, because you eat meat, probably it's one of the last Christmas I'll spend with you because you never know when you'll go. So, um, <laughs> you know, because of your diet, I thought I'd come and see you one last time. <laughs> that, that's the kind of comment I said. Oh, Richard. <laughs> 
Takes all sorts, <laughs> doesn't it? Takes all sorts. Can I ask a random question? Have any of you been given, whilst vegan, have any of you been given a non-vegan Christmas present by accident? And if so, what yeah. have you done? Yes. Um, as a teacher, yeah. get given chocolate every year um, without fail. I normally just put in the staff room and just let, you know, let, let sh- should I say share the joy. That's not the right phrase to use at all. But yeah, I just pass it on. Yeah. Richard? Yeah. I straight away in a very polite way and very nice way refuse it and explain why gotcha i went in between the two of you so it's the only time it's happened to me has been when i've when i was a teacher i made sure my class is slightly different to you tom because you you teach much younger children i was teaching 10 11 year olds so i made sure in like november everyone knew that i was vegan no i've said to be fair i do but maybe it's because of their age yeah yeah. we've just i'm getting sidetracked here but we've just been doing like animals and and food chains and you know part of the national curriculum it's about getting children to realize that you know omnivores herbivores and there's a bit on like the slideshow i'm doing where it says humans are omnivores and i'm like some humans are omnivores but some humans like me are herbivores we just eat plants because i'm a herbivore children it's november i'm a herbivore i don't eat animal products children okay tell that to your mums and dads but they'll they'll still get it wrong and in my case children got it wrong but it was it was great because they self-policed it so you had some children who'd kind of remembered telling the children who'd forgotten or whose parents had forgotten and say no mr cheshire doesn't eat that like you can't you can't give him that which was a bit awkward and a bit shamey but um it can be difficult can't it but i i I like what you're saying rich in terms of just politely and respectfully saying no i'm afraid not and you know my process there is thinking i don't want to get that next year (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so i remember it could be i don't know it could be a candle that has bee wax Mm. and because it's not obvious uh, Mm. it's not like they're giving you like in spain they could give you a ham and that they give you a pig's leg you know Mm. well that's pretty obvious isn't it but if if someone gives you a candle and maybe has bee wax in it well, that person might not know it, might even think they're doing they're giving you a vegan gift. I'll very politely say, Oh, by the way, this thanks very much. It's very nice from you to think about me and for this gift. However, I'm really sorry I cannot accept it because this has bee wax and I'll explain it. But I'll be I know when you refuse something, it's very hard for the other person to accept it. Mm. I know. Mm. But I'd rather get that person not to do it again. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I think we've been talking quite a lot about it, but I'd like to summarize things, you know, just as a conclusion. I would like to know from both of you, and I'll start with you, Anthony. Mm-hmm. What's your top tip you could give to vegans or to anyone about, you know, survival, <laughs> surviving Christmas, let's say? And what's your deadline? What what what's the place, the line, the thing you do not cross? Okay, I'll do the second one first. So no animal products in my house. Now, I appreciate that that might not work for everyone. That might, you know, start a civil war in some families, but that that would be a red line for me. Like absolutely no no animal products in my house. In terms of top tip, ooh, I'm torn. I want to give lots. I'm going to say make sure there's something really brilliant, really brilliantly vegan that you can look forward to over the Christmas period, whether it's a, a cheese hamper from La Fomagerie or a, you know, a, a 
vegan jeweled steak, whatever they, they call it. I forget the name of the company or or, or a special day where you're, you're just going to have a vegan Christmas meal, even if it's on the 29th of December. Something to look forward to in the Christmas period if indeed you're having to compromise on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, those just having a, a vegan thing to look forward to where you can kind of be proudly vegan and and feel like a vegan Christmas can be a, a great thing because it certainly can be even if you have to compromise at points. So that that'd be me. What, what about you, Tom? I'm going to do my red line first. Um, my red line would be I, again, flat out refuse to cook any animal products. But also, do not give my son anything that has any animal products. And that's a, a, new, a new red line. My top tip is, from my own experience, I've learned that a lot of conversations can be had around vegan alternatives or vegan food, even if it's just curiosity. And it might not go anywhere. But if someone is showing an interest in your vegan cheese or your vegan faux meat, you know, have a conversation about it because you never know what that door might lead to. Um, you know, those are the sorts of conversations that helped my dad become a vegetarian. And I know many might say, well, that's not vegan, but it's a step in the right direction. So go into it with an open mind and be willing to talk to people. Um, as Ant said, you know, have something ready up your sleeve that you could say, but do it in an earthling ed way, not a Joey Carbstrong way. <laughs> I, I just want to jump in and say I, I completely agree with you there in terms of if the opportunities to answer questions are there, it can be so tempting to feel like you're being attacked, especially if you have a big family going. I mean, I know some families that, that there'll be like 30 people in the house on Boxing Day or Christmas Day or whatever. And if you've got a question fired to you as a vegan in front of everyone, you can feel attacked, you can feel set upon. But do you know what? I reckon nine times out of 10 is people just wanting to know there's a vegan in the room. I've heard a lot about veganism. There's a vegan in the room. Let, let's ask them a question or two. And yeah, there might be the drunk uncle who's trying to catch you out and be a bit of a dick. But actually, the, even if they are, there's going to be lots of people in the room who are genuinely interested yeah. and without putting too much pressure on yourself, like it's a great opportunity to just, like say, plant some seeds and you never know where they'll go. You can't control how other people act, but you can control how you act. And that's the sort of a mantra that I tend to live by, generally speaking. If people are curious, talk to them about it. Let them try some of your vegan cheese. Um, and even if they say it's disgusting, you know, don't jump on the defensive straight away. Be like, have a, have a couple more tries first. <laughs> um, so that's that's mine. Uh, Rich, uh, how about you? I think my top tip would be if you think this Christmas will be hard, don't worry. Next one will be harder because the meat and dairy industry will put out some more studies that will make it more <laughs> difficult for you to argue with your family. So just enjoy this one. That's my top tip. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's great. No. On a serious note, I would say just be reassured that you have the values you've chosen to have. And if you're convinced about that, surely you can be nice to people, engage with people, have meaningful, meaningful conversations and meaningful relationships with them. And maybe if by empathy, you will create a better atmosphere so they can listen to your message. And who knows, maybe, you know, someone will be vegan next next Christmas. The red line for me would be not having any animal products at home and certain conversations are also a red line. I mean, depending of 
because I mean, in the UK, you can have certain conversations. Probably, if you went to South Korea, Spain, France, US, there's different conversations. So, if I was listening to people talking about how foie gras is made, and probably I would, you know, jump into that conversation. That would be a red line to say, please stop that.、Uh, mm. But yeah, those are my red lines. A question to everyone listening right now: Is Christmas the time to be advocating for animals, or do we just need to? To get through it, take the positives we can. Hold off the vegan advocacy because actually, seven days later is the start of January. What are your top tips, and what are your red lines to avoid? Let us know. Enough of the falafel at gmail dot com. We're almost at the end of the episode now. Thanks for being here and sharing your thoughts with us. I must say, I've had an absolutely lovely time. And and、uh, listeners won't know this, but Tom's—I、uh, nearly said your Veganuary moustache, your Movember moustache—is doing fantastically well there, Tom. Congratulations. Thank you kindly. <laughs>、um, so, like we say. We really love hearing the voices of everyone in the community, whether you're hosting the show or listening to the show. So, enough of the falafel at gmail dot com is the place to send your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, ideas for another episode, anything else we've covered in in this week's show. That's where to get hold of us. Yep, and it says here that、um, I'm supposed to ask if I can start eating the falafel now, but I feel like we've falafeled on enough, so、we、I、have. think we're gonna we're gonna end the show now. We 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 should. That has indeed been enough of the falafel from us for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I've been Anthony. I've been Richard, and I've been Tom. And this has been episode eleven of Vegan Week.